So first of all, five elders, a pastor of this church, uh, so thankful for all, uh, all of them. And we have been uh, waiting uh, on this night for uh, several months. And I want you to understand that we wouldn't call an all-in Wednesday um, if there wasn't something uh, deep within us that we wanted to share with you guys. So thank you for being here again. I want to begin with uh, what appears to be a year, but it actually stands for something much more significant, 1,456. Uh, So what I did is I tried to figure out um, how many hours we spend at home awake. Uh, So the average person, of course, gets about eight and a half or so hours of sleep a night. I know some of you are well beyond that. Uh, Others of you quite a bit less. Uh, But my thought was about four hours on average we spend in our home awake every day. Certainly some days it's almost nothing. But then there's other days where you spend an entire day at home. So if you count up all of those hours, what it equals in one year is 1,456. Quick math, if you divide that by 24, that equals 60.6 days. So that means we are at our house awake 60 days out of the year. When you start thinking about that, of course, there's certain amounts of time that we're eating. Okay, so let's say we eat at home for Let's even round up a little bit, an hour a day. So there's another 15 days. Uh, Let's say that we uh, maybe watch TV or do some leisure activities for another hour a day. So there's another 15 days. Let's let's say you, you you mow the yard and do some outdoor work and on and on. You can see how this works. But eventually what's left, let's just call it for the sake of easy numbers, 15 awake days that are sitting there, just sitting there. 15 days worth out of every single year. And so the question is, what are we doing with those, not hours, but with those days? A little bit about my home journey. This is the house, uh, next slide, that I grew up in. This is in St. Anne, Illinois, okay? I know that many of you don't know where St. Anne, Illinois is. I wouldn't expect you to know that. It's a very small town outside of Kankakee. Uh, This is where I lived for the first uh, seven years of my life. The house just to the right of this house here. Google Maps is unbelievable, right? I mean, look at us. We're like looking at my, my, you know, my growing up home. The house right next to me uh, was special because uh, there was a girl there that was named Shauna. And um, my mom started to uh, love on, care for, invite in uh, Shauna. Uh, She became a good friend of the family. She actually, next slide, taught me how to ride a bike. My mom found this picture, so it's a little blurry. But there's little blonde Dawson, it looks like. But that's actually me and uh, and Shauna. She's teaching me there how to ride a bike. And uh, I remember for the first time being introduced uh, to the concept of hospitality. Uh, Now, I grew up in a very hospitable home because my mom uh, has never met a stranger and welcomes everyone in. But I particularly remember Shauna because she came from a very um, poor household. Her parents uh, were pretty distant. Dad had a lot of struggles. Well, all of a sudden, next slide, uh, one day we learned that, um, you'll see our house there in the lower left, that Shauna uh, one night was with some friends and they were drinking and driving 
and a half a mile behind our house, uh, you'll see two trees that are in that red square. Uh, around the curve there, the car hit the tree. Shauna flew out of the window. Uh, she was not wearing a seatbelt. And at a very young age, this girl that I had become really good friends with who taught me how to ride a bike that I saw my mom pour into was killed. And it certainly hurt our family. I didn't know quite how to deal with all of the realities of it, but the concept of my mom's love of Shauna stayed with me. Uh, it came back later, unfortunately. Next slide. Then we moved to Waverly, Iowa. This Again, Google is crazy. This is my home that I lived in in Waverly, Iowa from when I was 7 to 12. Crazy. Uh, come to find out it's actually for sale right now, so there's a for sale sign in the yard there, but that basketball hoop right there, at least the place where the basketball hoop is like where I shot every single day. Like it just brings back memories, right? Like seeing these homes. Uh, when I got to Waverly, um, honestly, I was thinking about me. There was no like concept of, okay, so here we are in this house. Let's, let's do what, um, as far as I was uh, concerned, what my mom had done for Shauna. There was no concept of that. Then we moved uh, to Vandalia, Illinois. Here's our Vandalia, Illinois house. Next slide. Uh, check this out. There it is, okay? Um, Vandalia's right off Highway 70. We moved here when I was 12, lived there till I was 18. My interest in this home was, uh, was basketball, was football, was baseball, played sports in the back. Uh, my neighbors were just friends. Uh, my concept of what it meant to live in a house and think outside of myself was very, very uh, far removed. Well, uh, a lot of things happened in my life that allowed in the sovereignty of God for me to move in, next slide, to this facility, okay? Um, This is on the campus of McKendree, now University, then college, and that upper right window, okay, facing us was my first dorm room, okay? Walton Hall, room 302, uh, a man by the name of Oliver Vaught was my roommate. He used to throw machetes at the, uh, at the door, so you had to be careful walking in. Okay? You might take one off the forehead. True story. And um, it was here that all of a sudden I was brought back to my mom's initiation with Shauna. Uh, lived with 40 uh, men on that uh, hall, which meant that things constantly smelled disgusting. Um, on the weekends, there was a, a staunch smell of vomit that, you know, circulated through the hallways. But what it meant was I lived life with 39 other dudes. And day in and day out saw the same guys. And day in and day out, in humility, started to invest and pour into their life and started to transition in my mind about what it meant to live in a place and accept a calling because of it. Now, some of you know the story of what ended up happening at McKendree. Starting my sophomore year, we saw 60 salvations in three months' time, 15 of which were my football teammates, uh, guys coming to Christ on my dorm room floor. All of a sudden, we were thrust into, there's no other way to say it, a revival on my campus. Learned a whole lot. Well, then Heidi and I got married, and we moved into an apartment, and the reason why we went into the apartment was because it was uh, the, the apartment in our budget, and there was no thought of missionality, no thought of intentionality. We then moved uh, to Rosewind Court in O'Fallon. I had gotten a youth pastor job, and again, we bought the home because we liked the backyard and the opportunity in the basement, 
But then after we planted Matthias, something happened in us. There was a desire to move to St. Charles and choose a home because of what the home provided us in opportunity. And so next slide, this is the house we moved into almost 10 years ago now. Uh, it's well-timed here with the beautiful trees in front. They'll soon turn green and later brown, okay? But take it as it is. But the reason, next slide, that we chose this home, you'll get a picture of it here. Our house there is in the yellow. We literally, in our backyard, um, consistently can talk to five different neighbors. That's not counting the folks that are across the street. We moved there because of it. The thought was, okay, like... Our home can be used for mission. This is our opportunity here to come in and plant a church in St. Charles and have a passion for the people around us. And I would like to tell you that my wife and I live intentionally every single day in our neighborhood. That would be a 100% lie. There are days and moments where often this opportunity that affords us goes by the wayside. There's a lot of weeks that go by where seemingly we turn inward. But recently, through repentance, through God working in my heart, I all of a sudden was brought back to the reason why we bought this home in the first place. Next slide. It was because we believed that there was something to do with these hours. It was because we didn't want to waste 60 days worth of our year where we're awake in our home. And so what started to transpire then in the repentance is God started to speak. God started to stir. God started to make clear. And often what happens for me is I first must repent, and then together we can learn and grow and be sanctified in the Spirit. And so I'm inviting you tonight into a journey that's not centered around the number of hours, but that is centered around the power of the true gospel that can save lives, save our cities, and save our neighborhoods. Are we all together? That's why we're here tonight. And so the question is this. We don't save and we don't sanctify. There's no one in here that has saving power within them. There's no one here that has sanctifying power in them. You you aren't the agent of growth in anyone else. It will always come back to the spirit moving in you. But the question is, what is our role then? If we don't save and we don't sanctify, what is our role? To teach us from the word, I want you guys to turn in your scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, the scripture will be on the screen As you're turning there, I want to ask you one very poignant question. Do you want to see your whole street, complex, floor, or neighborhood come to know Jesus? Is that what you want to see? Do you want to see it? Do you long to watch an uncontrollable move of God flood your dormitory? Do you long deep within you all of a sudden to see the Spirit breathe on that apartment complex? Do you long to look up and down the street where you reside and all of a sudden watch the mighty right hand of God come through it and save and save and save? I'm asking you, do you want to see that? Listen, it's an easy question to say, yes, Mark, of course we do. It's the same question I've had to wrestle with. 
If I'm really interested in that and then sit on my hands and then focus on myself, do you see that my answer is actually no? Are we together? I can't say I want this and then not be prayerful and then sit on my hands in missionality. It doesn't make sense. We have a role to play. And that role begins here in First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, the scripture says, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, amen? The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Now, I've heard this uh, verse thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Some of you, I know, have it tatted. It's okay. It's a beautiful text. I have never in my life been drawn to the word behold. Uh, the Greek word for behold is edu. Everyone say it with me. Come on. Edu, right? And you know what the Greek word edu means? It means to see. Never in my life have I seen the fact that we're a new creation in Christ. And then what Paul says is behold. Look. The old has passed away and what? The new has come. In other words, the new in us is what? It's visible. You guys understand what I'm saying? As the Spirit saves, as God moves in us, what is happening in us in the sanctifying and justifying work is visible. It's seen. We can watch it. And some of you know this all too well. This is your story. Easily seen. Old to new. Old man New man, the word behold will drive our night tonight. Verse 18. All this, look at this, is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Come on. Reconciliation. Well, reconciliation means to be adjoined, to be brought back, to be, we could even say, reconnected. Now, I want you to notice three things from verse 18. Number one, God is the source. All this is what? From who? So the reconciliation is from God. The being a new creation is from God. Key components of this text. The second aspect is this. God is the one that's doing the work. So he's the source. And then through him, through Christ, he has done the work of reconciliation. So he is the source. And then he's the one doing the work. But then look at the end of verse 18. Look at this. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God's the source. God does the work. And then God gives us the work. He says, here, you've been reconciled. You know what it tastes like. You've been brought back. You were the dead man and now you've been made new. People see the visualization of what has happened in you. So here... You go tell the world then what it means to be in your sins and then all of a sudden have your sins washed clean and then be made new. You go tell them, here's the ministry of reconciliation. I'm still the source and I'm going to do the work, but I'm inviting you into the work. Are we together? Beautiful text. For more clarification, verse 19, look at this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, unbelievable truth, not counting their trespasses against them. And what, look at this word here. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
So what God has done is he hasn't just said, here's the work. The scripture alludes to that he has trusted his kids with the message. Now, I mean, I look at my seven and six-year-old boys right now, and the things that I trust them with are very, very small. Unbelievably small, okay? Uh, the other day, I uh, had, some, uh, had kind of a project, a mission to see how Dawson would do. So I was over next door, and I gave Dawson uh, the building church keys here, and some of you may, uh, you know, chagrin at this. But I said, hey, all the way back in the back room, Dawson, there's something on my, on my desk, okay? So I want you to, to open the front door. I want you to go through the dark auditorium, and I want you to find it. And he lit up. I mean, he was fired up. Because I was saying, like, here's the church building keys, it's dark and it's scary. This is going to be like an Indiana Jones-like adventure, okay? And I, I was excited to see his response. There is zero, zero in me that thought he would come back, A, alive, and B, with the actual item I had asked for. You know what I'm saying? He's going to get distracted by playing the drums. He's going to run into the pole. It's happened before, okay? Like, like something is going to happen, right? Well, we had a tough start because he couldn't even get in the door because he couldn't turn the key, okay? So I, like, come around. I'm all excited. It's been, like, five minutes, right? So I'm thinking maybe he's, like, playing in the street. No, he's still, like, trying to, you know, he's almost broken my key off, you know? I open the door, and to see his face light up as I said, now, go. All of a sudden, I started to understand a little bit more of what it's like for a father to entrust his kids with a message. See what I'm saying? Our only question is, how excited are we about it? First John says that his commands aren't burdensome. His commands are a gift. So I'm asking tonight, do you find yourself on the edge of your seat as God says, here is the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the message of reconciliation. You go. Tell everybody. I'm asking, is there a level of excitement or does it feel like, seriously, God, one more thing I got to do? One more obedient thing that I have to listen to? One more beckoning from you that I have to submit to? I'm asking, how do you perceive it? How beautiful is it when the kids just say, yes, Dad, I can't, I'm so thankful that you've entrusted us with this message. We're going to go for it, Dad. I fear that too often, I myself, and maybe you're included, instead say, seriously, Dad? Seriously, Dad? We kind of mope around. Tonight's not about moping at all. In fact, tonight's not about the past. Tonight's about right now. And right now, here's what verse 20 says. Next slide. Therefore, therefore, because of all of this, God being the source God being the work, God inviting us into the work, we are, what's the word? We're ambassadors. Ambassadors. My question is, what makes us ambassadors? What makes us ambassadors? First of all, our salvation. He saved us. He pulls us out of the pit of death which aligns us with him. The scripture says then we become co-heirs. So the first thing that makes us ambassadors is our salvation. The second thing that makes us ambassadors is our sealing. The scripture says that we've been sealed with the spirit. In other words, God doesn't say, hey, you're saved, you're my kid now, good luck with that. 
He saves us and then gives us the Holy Spirit. Here, you're going to need this. The disciples struggled with this big time. They said, Jesus, why do you have to go? And Jesus said, no, 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 you want me to go because unless I go, the helper can't come. Jesus was celebrating the fact that you are going to receive the helper. And you know what happened the first day? The helper came down in the presence of all these people. 3,000 souls came to Christ, the scripture says in Acts 2. So we want the spirit. The third thing that makes us ambassadors is our calling. We've been saved, we've been sealed, and we have been called. Jesus entrusts discipleship and the spread of the gospel to these fishermen and tax collectors. He still does. He's still entrusting the message of reconciliation to the police officers, to the stay-at-home moms, to the insurance agents, to the teachers, to the 12-year-olds who proclaim Christ to the day in and day out, men and women a part of the body of Christ. He is still entrusting us. Here, you've been saved, you've been sealed, so therefore the calling means something. So go. We're ambassadors, the scripture says. For who? Come on. Who? Who are we ambassadors for? Listen, you're not an ambassador for Matthias's Lot Church. Amen, somebody? You are not an ambassador for this church. You're not an ambassador for an idea. You're not an ambassador for some sort of, you know, mythical uh, ideological system. You're not an ambassador for, you know, mere obedience or morality. You're an ambassador for the king. And, it, and that can get confusing. Even tonight. Oh, man, here we go. We're going to be called to do something else. And we can get confused. Are we trying to please these elders? Are we trying to please these leaders? Are we trying to please this discipler? Or is the heart of the elders here to equip and empower us to own what Christ has commanded all of us to do, which is 100% our heart? We long together to equip the body of Christ to serve the one who we are an ambassador for, and that is Jesus alone. Amen? I want to step down here and just make sure that's clear. You are not an ambassador of this church. We are an ambassador of Christ and therefore representing him in all shape. Uh, finally, this, uh, this passage ends beautifully. We implore you, says Paul, then on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Can I show you something? Next slide. Look at this. These are uh, our covenant members right here. This is where they live. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, if you use big enough icons, it kind of looks like the whole metro, you know, the whole <laughs> metro area. <laughs> and I understand. Uh, this isn't including all of the other believers in the St. Louis region. This isn't including the other people on your street that love Jesus but go to a different local body. This isn't including the person in your dormitory that confesses Christ. Can we sit back a little bit and say, what an unbelievable opportunity. Let's just, let's just center in a little bit. We can go this, uh, take this map however we want to look at it. Let's look at it like this. 
Uh, this is just the downtown St. Charles. These are the homes that are closest to our building here. Again, this isn't including uh, all of the other believers in St. Charles. This isn't including the folks that live next door to you that profess Christ. I'm asking, what do you see here? Because what I see in this room is, I think, the exact representation of what Jesus intended in the body of Christ. An army. People who had been saved and sealed and who had come together to celebrate to only be sent back out embracing this clear calling of being an ambassador in the one facility, the one place where we spend 60 awake days every single year. It's like, what if all of a sudden, all of these homes, all of these places of residence, all of these mobile homes, all of these apartments, all of these dormitories became havens of the Spirit of God. Next slide, let me say it this way. What would those who live around you say about Jesus based upon your life as an ambassador? So you're an ambassador for Christ right now the people that are your neighbors, and again, that looks different based on the season of life that we're in and where you reside, what would they say about Jesus? Well, Jesus must be loving. He must be. Because this person proclaims Christ and they are the most loving person I have ever met. Jesus must be forgiving. Jesus must be caring and compassionate. Jesus must be hospitable. Jesus must be welcoming. I mean, he must have the widest open arms I've ever seen because this person doesn't stop inviting me into their life. I'm uncomfortable they're inviting me so much in. Or, yeah, uh, Jesus must be easily angered. Jesus must hate me. Jesus must not be interested in forgiveness. It's a heavy question, but the heaviness of the question does not allow any of us to escape the calling. Does that make sense? The scripture says if you've been saved, and sealed by the Holy Spirit, then you are an ambassador. Well, what what we've recognized is that there's a whole lot of battles there within. Seeing our place of residence as a place of mission. Next slide. Let's walk through this in what I hope to be a means of encouragement, what I hope to be a means of the Spirit calling out some things in your own life? What are some killers in seeing this home base, wherever it is that your home base is, as a massive opportunity of being an ambassador? What are some killers to that? 
The first killer is this, a temporary lodging mentality. This was Heidi and I in our year apartment. We're only here a year. Are you kidding? Only here a year. Why in the world would we take interest in our neighbors? We're out the door in a year. Like we're, bar- we're barely even, like there's barely even going to be dust in our apartment. Let's just keep moving on. And so quite honestly, that's how we existed. We had stuff to do, man. We had busy lives. Heidi was in school. I had a brand new youth pastor job. I was duct taping middle schoolers to the wall. I mean, I had stuff to do, right? And so the last thing we were going to do was invest in these people we were only going to see a year. Justin and Mary Beans are back from Ecuador for three months. Uh, They're staying right now with uh, Garrett and Allie Carlson in their home in their basement. And I had lunch with them two weeks ago. And our lunch uh, maybe took a direction that they weren't expecting. I said, hey, you're here three months, three months. And I said, hey, you're living in a basement, right? Oh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I was like, what does it look like for you to engage the Carlson neighbors in the three months of time that you're here? You know, and I kind of, you know, saw Justin, he like dropped his chip at Omagwe, you know, and he's, he's like, oh, okay, like, 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 what do you mean? I was like, well, imagine the opportunity that you have to be an ambassador for Christ in sharing the story of hospitality to the neighbors of those who have been hospitable. You get to tell all these neighbors, oh yeah, we're living in their basement, which for some of you sounds like a downgrade. I'm living in the basement. But for them, they get to tell the story over and over and over. Yeah, we're staying with the Carlsons. Well, what do you mean you're staying with the Carlsons? Well, crazy story, but yeah, we're missionaries in Ecuador and here's what's happening. They've, they've opened their home to us. They've They've said, hey, come and stay with us. Do you see? So listen, whether it's the dorm for eight months. Man, I'm only here for eight months. Why in the world would I even get get interested? Some of you are already checking out of the place that you're at. Some of you are moving in two weeks. But you're there now. Which means you are an ambassador. I hope you saw the text like I did. There's not exemption clauses. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Except, 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 except. It's not there. It's not there. The killer, though, is I'm out the door, so why even begin to think of this as a home base? Number two, killer is the home base mission. Um, some of you live in neighborhoods where people pull in the driveway, open the garage door, and it instantly is closed. You're, like, trying to, like, you know, hey, you know, you're, like, trying to, Make a connection, boom, you know. Well, thankfully, I broke my garage door in the first week of living in our house, okay? So my, true story, my garage door doesn't work, and I'm not handy, so I have not fixed it, right? Okay. But the closed doors that we have, I don't know if we should let those people in our house. Do you remember who Jesus dined with? Do you remember who he hung with? Do you remember who he spent time with? Do you remember why that caused contention? Can I ask you now, have you ever been the Pharisee who talks missionality and hospitality, but then when it comes time to welcome in someone who doesn't quite look like you, talk like you, is a little bit brash, who I don't know what they're going to say around my kids, and on and on and on, what it does is it just forces the believer to feel like the only answer is shut the door. We have to protect and so then Christians everywhere go into protect mode. 
Can I ask you, what happened to the early disciples? Did they protect or did they die? I'm just asking. They weren't closing the doors. They were dying one by one. Why? Because Jesus told them to die. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That's what it means to be a follower. And let, they're going to know you by the love that you pour out for one another is what Jesus said. But some of you, because of the things that have happened in the past, close the door, shut the door. We can't be hospitable to them. We'll pick and choose. Those people will probably be comfortable. They have kids about our age and on and on and on. What do we communicate about the gospel when we open the door? That's why we do law families the way that we do them. People ask me all the time, so can I go to any law family? Yeah, like, just show up. Well, like, do I have, need to be invited? No, just show up. Like, they'll be there. It'll be a party. And, like, it's not like a closed situation. No, it's, it's open. Like, anybody and everybody, come on over. Why? Because we want the neighbors in those homes to see person after person infiltrating this house to talk about the gospel. Can I tell you something? One of my dear friends who's one of my neighbors came to me this past Sunday, Sunday before Easter. Hey, Mark, uh, he said, I know your group's getting ready to meet. But he said, I want you to know that my dad just died. And he said, I know your group's getting ready to meet. Would you, could you guys pray for me today? Alan, one, yes, yes, we will pray for you. And my, my neighbor has cancer as well that he is battling through himself. But because he knew that our home was like open and people were coming over to talk about Jesus, no matter where he stands with Christ, hey, would you pray for me? Church, it's time to open the doors. Another killer to home base mission is this. Hello, somebody. Anger over annoyances. That dog next door, somebody. Come on. They mowed their yard three inches on my side. The apartment complex, the volume next door. I know I'm talking somebody's language. Because there's about 95 dogs within a, you know, a half square foot of my home, it feels like. And you guys know my stance on pets. As for me and my house, we will not have pets, okay? That's our stance, right? And so I believe just to smile at me, God's like, here you go, 95 dogs here, and here's a baker's dozen over here, you know? It's just dogs everywhere. Well, what starts to happen, quite honestly, is I can find my heart wanting to like, hey, Dawson, could you give me the football over there, you know? Like, I can find it raging up in me, you know? Like, that yippy dog, you know? Where they park whether they smoke or not, on their backyard, how many vehicles they have, and on and on and on. I'm asking, what do you communicate about the one that you're an ambassador for based on your anger over annoyances? Do your neighbors see grace upon grace? Do they know? They know it has to be bugging you. Because all my neighbors know my stance. They have to know that it bugs me. And yet, I go out, I don't pet it, I don't touch it, but I'll get near it, you know? That's a nice looking dog, you know, as I stand on the other side of the fence, you know? Right. But anger over annoyances is a killer to home-based mission. Number four. Next slide. Killers to home-based mission. Discouragement from disinterest. So, finally, 
you were like, okay, today's the day. Here we go. Haven't met this new neighbor. I'm going to cook me up some brownies, right, which is a great move, by the way. Great move, okay. You show up on the doorstep. You've never met them, but today is the day. Boom, boom, boom. Knock on the door. You, kinda, you guys have kind of waved and smiled. You see like the three-inch open, you know. They're kind of like, they're thinking you're a Girl Scout, some, you know, Thin Mints or something, you know, and, and all of a sudden, you, you know, they open the door. Hey, I, man, I'm so excited. It's great to have you as a neighbor. Here's these special brownies we cooked up, you know. It's my grandma's homemade, homemade recipe. What? These are the special cookies. I don't know, man. You guys need to get your heads out the, right? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So don't use the word special in brownies. That's bad. All right, I'm with you. Fair enough. Whatever, let's just go cookies. Here are my grandma's special cookies. Are we good? Are we? Okay. No, not, no, okay. Whatever, let's move on. But you guys know what happens. When all of a sudden the neighbor's like, oh, gee, thanks. Oh, like, okay, uh, man, we would love to hang out sometime. And everything on their face says, no, I never actually want to hang out with you in my life. And so you were all excited to serve, all excited to pour into your neighbor. And instead what happens is you're like, forget it then. Forget it then. If believers said forget it then upon every moment of discouragement, do you understand where we would be? Forget it then. If, the, if this is the way they're going to react, if they're not going to give me gratitude. Number five, killers to home base mission. The big danger tonight is going to be leaving here and all of a sudden seeing your neighbors as projects. There's project number one. There's project number two. That person's a big project. We'll call them project, you know, 33, Right? Every single one of those people who you neighbor, they're unbelievably precious, potentially, if not a believer, in desperate need of God's grace, and a person with a deep-rooted story just like you, who have hurts like you, who have wants like you, who have a past like you. And it's so easy, all of a sudden, after a teaching like this, to be like, here we go. And you, you come in with all guns a-blazing, seeing all of this neighborhood as just one more project to your Christian paraphernalia. And I'm saying right now, that is not the gospel. Jesus somehow sat with the adulterer, loved and cared. Jesus sat with the unlovable, took interest, looked them in the eyes. When people become projects, number six, killers to home-based mission. Your home only has one purpose. One. My guess is there's some resonating that's happening on number six with every person in this room. Because it has at times been a place of indulgence, a massive place of comfort. I'm not saying that our home should have, you know, like knives everywhere or not comfortable. Don't hear me. But the purpose of the home 
is only to be used for the glory of God. It's just like a marriage. It's just like a relationship. It's just like your college education and on and on and on. All of it is only for the glory of God, for us as believers to be ambassadors for Christ. There is no other purpose. And the moment we as believers know that, accept that, receive that, this home isn't so I can build my kingdom. It is to be used for the glory of Christ, period. This apartment that is like 150 square feet, maybe, is to be used for the glory of Christ. This dorm room to be used for the glory of Christ. This motel room. And on and on. Number seven, though, is the most poignant of them all. No plan, no vision, no strategy. So as I was wrestling with this several months ago, I was so excited to meet with the elders. God had put a word on my heart. God had put a plan, a strategy. And I couldn't wait to meet with these brothers. And as you experience in the unity of the spirit, when there is unity around a room, it is unbelievably beautiful. And I shared with them what I'm getting ready to share with you now. And there was this resounding around the table the opportunities that God could afford us with a plan and a strategy that is focused, practical, poignant, unbelievable, a resounding yes. And so many, many, many weeks ago, we began as a team to develop this. Uh, we shared with you several weeks back, we want to have an all-in Wednesday asking everyone to come so that based on the salvation being sealed and being called by God that we could come together and be sent out. And so next slide, this is what we call it, the seven. Now, I know um, some of you already are like, oh, that's a nice number, right? Seems somewhat biblical, and um, there's a, you know, kind of a nice ring to the seven. But the definition of the seven is this. The seven is a missional blueprint for neighborhoods, dorms, apartments, and all other places of residence, just in case you thought you had a category that doesn't fit, it's wherever you lay your head down. Wherever. Now, what the seven is in principle, next slide, is this. You pray for and pursue seven different neighbors, seven days a week, one neighbor a day. So in other words, Thursdays for the Sigma household is this neighbor. And what we're going to do as a family is we're going to hold hands and we are going to pray for that neighbor. We're going to plead for them. We're going to call out to the Lord on them. And then we're going to figure out a way creatively to pursue them. This isn't some elaborate plan. Some days it may be a simple text that says we care about you. Other days it may be a conversation across the yard. Other times it may be going to their house and offering them a meal and on and on and on, one by one. All seven neighbors around you. Well, prayer heightens awareness, my friends. And as you begin to pray for that neighbor, you become so interested in God's move in their life. So interested. You want to see God answer prayer. You want to know that God is hearing you. And so all of a sudden, you had this, like, this relationship with them that was so distanced 
all of a sudden you start to take some strides. You see the relationship deepen, and now your awareness of their needs, your sensitivity to the Spirit's direction in the moment is heightened. And all of a sudden you find yourself doing the unthinkable. Tell me what you think about Jesus. That question has scared you for years. What if I ask them and they hate me? What if I ask them and, and, and they're not ready? What if I ask them and it's too soon? But all of a sudden, prompted by the Spirit, you say, so hey, tell me what you think about Jesus. And then the unthinkable happens. What you never could have imagined, they say, yeah, you know, I've, I've wondered about you, um, and I wondered maybe if that question would come up sometime, because I notice how you love your kids. And I notice how pursuant you are of everyone here. So for me, Jesus, is, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I kind of went to church, then I got burned, and I haven't been in 10 years. So, so what's your story, they say? And now in the emboldening power of the Spirit, you say what Christ has done in your life. You see, the thing about the seven is all of a sudden, then our homes and our places of residence become epicenters of the power of the gospel. Why? Because you are there, believer. You reside there. And because you reside there, the Spirit is there. And so now all of a sudden, if you thought of it as a Google map, there's like this pulsating beat over your home, over your dorm, over your apartment, over wherever it is that you reside. And do you understand then what we're going to start seeing, church? In the stories of the seven, in the people embracing this call, in the neighbors that are going to be called to Christ and allegiance to Jesus, not to a local church body, but to the Lord. And then... Do you see the opportunity that you're going to have to disciple them? Man, I know Matthias is, is, is passionate about discipleship. How does this fit? How does this fit? Maybe God would grace you at watching him save them, and then maybe you're going to get to disciple your neighbor. And now all of a sudden, the pulses in the neighborhood grow stronger. Why? Because now there are more believers. And then all of a sudden, that neighbor joins in in the prayers for the other neighbors. You guys understand? Now, I know you have some questions. Let's just go over some possible questions. Next slide. Okay, number one. Here's some possible questions. What if I or we don't know seven neighbors? Great question. Because that's the realization for many of you right now. One, two, skip a few. I know one, some of you are thinking. I totally understand. And there is zero shame in that tonight. Tonight's not about the past. Tonight's about right now. Are we together. So you may not know seven, but what about a month from now? Huh? What about three weeks from now? What about all of a sudden leaving here? I am an ambassador for Christ. And it's time that I embrace that calling. Some of you will rise to the occasion and embrace. Yeah, I'm, I'm tired of sh shutting the door. Honey, you know what? We've never even talked to that neighbor, let alone invite them over. Well, I know they may think it's weird, but what does it look like just to say, hey, come on over for dinner. We're, 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 we're doing Sunday steaks, and everyone's welcome. 
It's not about how many neighbors you know tonight, but what about a few weeks from now? What about a month from now? What about if tonight this is the launch pad to knowing your neighbors in a way that you never thought possible? Number two, how about this? You're like, okay, if we're praying for them every Monday, that's going to get a little bit redundant. All right, family and or whoever, my, you know, my college uh, dorm or me as an individual, let's pray again for the neighbor and we're going to pl- pray in generalities. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you understand what start, starts happening? What if the relationship got to this place if they even knew that every Monday you prayed for them? Just like so many non-believers who want prayer. And all of a sudden, you're texting them on Monday. Uh, hey, it's Monday. You know we're praying for you tonight. Could you share with me what, how we can pray for you? Oh, sure. Could you pray for this and that? Praying for their salvation. Praying for opportunities. God, right now, our relationship isn't strong. We want it to deepen. God, will use overwhelm this relationship with power. Fling the doors open of opportunity tomorrow, God. And on and on. Pray the scripture. Choose a passage. Begin to read through it. And pray in light of that text for your neighbor. Beautiful stuff. Next slide. Another possible question. Uh, what if I or we live in a rural context, right? Like some of you are like, I don't have a neighbor, right? And, and though that will be a few of you here, the reality is maybe your seven is two on a rotation. Maybe it's three on a rotation. Maybe it's going to take a little bit more intentionality. Because just because you live in a rural context, it doesn't mean that you're there to build a kingdom, Amen. It means it's still a home of opportunity, a home of mission. Next slide. How about this? How can I get started on this? I'm so glad you asked. Now, what I did is I spent the last two months writing a seven-day start-to-neighborhood mission. And so tonight, every single one of you are going to get one of these as you leave. Every single one of you. Uh, This is a daily journey, a daily call, a daily challenge. Uh, But more than that, I pray the Spirit would use this in every single person's life to stir us to own our call. Not Matthias's lot missional strategy, but God's call on us as an ambassador. And so as you leave here tonight, We are going to hand this to you, and we pray that it would be a massive resource and encouragement in your journey from this day on. But the last question we must be clear on is this. Jesus has saved 3,000 in a day before, and he can do it again. Whole households have been baptized before, and he can do it again. Entire neighborhoods have been swept by the grace of God, and he can do it again. Entire cities, people groups, villages, God's power is not bound by our insecurity. Amen? God's power is not bound by our inabilities or fears that are rising up in us right now. God's power is not bound. It is moving. It's free-flowing. It's urgent. It's loving. And my friends, it is real. The aim of this is obedience to a great king as we watch and we pray 
for God to do the uncontrollable. Can I ask you, what if tomorrow, I'm saying, what if tomorrow it happened? What if it happened? The one thing you never thought could happen. Fresh off this, you walk across the street, never have shared with this neighbor ever, and boom, you watch the Lord sweep into that conversation, soften their heart. Half an hour later, you're literally hugging because now you are united in the spirit of God as God has saved. He can do it again. He can save this entire city. Mark, that's pie in the sky. If that's pie in the sky, then our God is not alive. It's possible. He can do it again. The aim of this mission is to watch our God be God. We're not serving a puppet. We're not worshiping some idea. We are called to be an ambassador by the one true King And my friends, I guarantee you, we are going to watch this king work. Let's stand together. Come on. Now, I have a whole lot of shame. I have failed so many times in my selfishness at engaging my neighbors. I have so much shame. My guess is some of you, as the Spirit has been rising up in you tonight, it feels so distant to even begin this because you're like, Mark, there is so much that has to happen in my heart. I understand. Well, at the end of First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just after the verse 20 about being an ambassador... Would you mind if I shared with you what verse 21 says? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, for our shame, for our past, for our negligence, for our flaws, he sent his son to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Christ, we might what? What's the word? Come on. We might become the righteousness of God. That tonight our shame could be taken to the cross of Christ. Tonight all of our lack of missionality could be taken to the cross of Christ. Tonight years and years and years worth of self-centered living. Tonight you've recognized you're, you've just been building a kingdom. A comfortable, cozy home. For you and your family to grow fat and happy. Another opportunity for you to indulge. Some of you dealing with so much inside. Grace. Because of Christ. Grace to me. Because of Christ. Grace to you. Tonight we get to rest in the grace of Jesus. And leave here free. To do what you ask? To be ambassadors of the king of grace to a world who desperately needs to taste it. And so tonight, I'm going to invite all the elders and their wives to join me as your shepherds, as the husbands who lead this church and the wives that care for you so much. 
we want to serve you this meal. This meal that as Jesus broke the bread and he held it up, he told his boys, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. It's forgiveness. It's grace. It's life abundant. And then he held up the cup. The cup that would soon be spilt out of his own flesh. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. We come to the table of grace tonight as ambassadors. So when you walk and you receive this meal and you leave this meal, be sent in the grace of God to be the ambassador that he has called. And we will watch together the power of this grace in action. Let's share in this meal, church, as one body.